Hey, nice to have you with us for the Kiwi Football Fix. I'm Goran Paladin, and uh, on this show, if you're, you're new to it for the first time today, thank you very much for joining us. We, what we do here is we shine a spotlight on all things New Zealand football, be it in our own backyard or New Zealand footballers and coaches abroad. And uh, speaking of footballers and coaches, I've got, well, one who's done both or doing both. His name is Glenn Moss, and he joins us from Australia right now. Mossy, great to see you. No, thank you for having me. I'm certainly giving it a good crack. Mossy, what is going on? Because I thought at the end of your career, you were the perfect person to make a transition into the media. You, you can talk the hind leg off a donkey. You've got the, the looks of a Hollywood superstar. But somehow you've managed to worm your way into the, uh, the goalkeeping coaching realm. What happened? Oh, I'm so happy that bribe made its way over to you. That's that's so kind. Yes, I've joined the dark side, Goran. Look, it's uh, it certainly is a new experience, and I never thought I'd say that having played professional football for so long. But um, at the moment, I'm learning new things every day that I never thought I would, and thoroughly enjoying the challenge and just being out on the pitch every day. Uh, as a coach is probably the second best job to being a player. So how did you get into the coaching gig? Uh, obviously the, the career, the playing career ends. Did you reach out to MacArthur or did they reach out to you? Well, I've known uh, Ante Milicic for a long time. We, uh, I guess I started my career as he was finishing in the old NSL at Sydney Olympic and uh, he was coaching the Matildas at the time. MacArthur FC was announced as a new franchise for the A-League and I was actually sitting my coaching badges. So uh, I was weighing up retirement. Um, then a, a calf strain pretty much put me into retirement and then COVID came along as well. And uh, with all those things combined, I thought, you know, it's probably the best time to, to hang up the gloves. And after speaking to Ante, he was putting plans in place for MacArthur FC and inquired about the, the goalkeeping coach role and whether it was something I seriously wanted to do or something that I was just uh, doing in my, my downtime and it was something that I'd grown to love. I'd spent a little bit of time at Newcastle Jets helping out the youth goalkeepers there and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it and I thought, where else would I want to be? So here I am. What kind of coach are you, Glenn? Are you really hands-on? Do you like to get out on the training paddock? Do you still put the gloves and the boots on? Or are you very much uh, stand on the sideline and just point and shout? <laughs> no, I don't think I've earned that right yet. Um, if anything, I do have to remind myself uh, that I'm Coach Moss now, I'm not the player Moss, and stay away from the players' change rooms and, and the banter and the chat and, um, you know, put a, a different colour to hat on now but yeah I certainly uh, love being out on the pitch that's uh, you know something I, I enjoy doing every day I'm up all night thinking about the sessions and uh, the goalkeepers that I'm working with I'm so lucky I've Adam Federici who's you know a seasoned veteran over in England and with the Australian national team and young Nick Sue's uh, one of the best up and coming goalkeepers in Australia so to work with those guys day in day out um, you know I love it I love being on the pitch uh, not so much the four or five hours on the computer after the pitch. Glenn, you said earlier that you were doing your coaching badges and, and all that sort of carry on. So what is this for you? It's not just a means to an end before you decide what you want to do for your next career. You, you really want to give this coaching gig a, a red hot crack, do you? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's any different to, to my playing career. I wanted to play at the highest level. 
that I could. I think it's going to be the same for me. Uh, you know, as a, in a coaching mindset, I'd love to coach at the highest level I could um, to start off in the professional level in the A leagues. Uh, like I said, you know, amazing thing to be able to do. And if it takes me further into national teams or European club sides, overseas club sides, then uh, that's certainly the goal. You've gotten off to a pretty good start, mate. MacArthur in the top six. Uh, they're, they're playoff bound at the moment. Uh, how, how pleased are you with this the startup club's efforts in the first season of the, of the A-League? Yeah, we're, we're pretty happy. Uh, having said that, I think there's four or five games still to go on, on our draw. Um, another trip to Perth as well. So, look, sitting in this position at this stage of the season, um, was probably above our expectations. So now we'd like to, I guess, build some momentum into the finals because, as we all know, once you're in the A-League finals, anything can really happen. So, um, you know, to be sitting around the, the top of the table for a startup club that you have still been building things along the way from uh, from staff to gym equipment to facilities, uh, learning the, the travel restrictions and things like that, uh, we're lucky that we've got such a resilient group and a, and a quality roster as well. So, um, you know, hopefully the trend will continue. What have you made of your old club, the Wellington Phoenix? They've um, been there or thereabouts throughout the, uh, the back end of the season. Uh, have, you, have you liked what you've seen from them? I have. Uh, I'd say they've been threatening. Um, you know, they, they always really show good quality glimpses of, um, you know, a nice brand of football, um, some good talent there that, you know, is a, can be a little bit unpredictable at times. Um, I, I guess I've got to give a shout out to my young mate, Ollie Sale, who's been, been fantastic since stepping in between the posts. And I won't take any credit for Ollie's uh, development, but I did help him for three or four years when I was at Wellington. So no surprise that uh, he's, he's doing well. And um, yeah, it, it's good to see those guys playing well. And it's just a matter of getting some results leading into the finals for them. I'm glad you brought up Ollie Sale because, um, yeah, since he's come in in place of Stefan Marinovic, he's been incredible. He's probably been their best player outside of Ulysses de Vila. Uh, what what did you like about Ollie Sale from a very early age? And when was the first time you laid eyes on him? Yeah, I think it was maybe the Under-17 World Cup uh, going a while back now. I first kind of took note of Ollie. He was working with Paul Goffard up in Auckland. And, and then when we had the opportunity to bring him down to Wellington and work with myself, uh, I think Mark Paston and then Luis Italiano, what I liked about Ollie was his, his natural charisma. He, he's unfazed. As a goalkeeper, you want that blend of calmness with a little bit of craziness, but basically just not, not to get flustered or, or scared, really. I and mean, you get, get yourself into some you know, pretty difficult situations, a lot of pressure is on you. Uh, you watch Ollie play. You can see a smile on his face. He's got a lot of energy, high-fiving his teammates, beating his chest about. Um, I really love those sorts of, those sorts of things. It's a goalkeeping presence, um, which we talk about, and everyone on the field should know you. Yeah, what's the future hold for this uh, Oli Sale? Because you go past Stefan Marinovic, you think, well, maybe he's a, a shoo-in for an all-whites number one jersey. Do you think he's that good, or...? there might be a different line of thinking from Danny Hay. Well, we could say there's fantastic depth for the position now uh, with him, Stefan Marinovic, uh, Michael Wood. Uh, look, 
with goalkeeping, if you get an opportunity like we've seen with Ollie Sale, uh, these are the types of things you'll find. Um, it was unfortunate for me that Stefan Maranovic got his opportunity and took it with both hands and, and I didn't play again after that. So, um, look, to have that depth now um, is something that I know Danny will be pretty happy with. The, um, the, the dynamic between goalkeepers, obviously, you know, you've experienced it throughout your career where you've either put somebody on the pine long term or you've been put on the bench long term. Look at the Wellington Phoenix right now. Stefan Marinovic, he, he kept Oli Sale on the bench for about two seasons. Now the, the, revo- the roles have been reversed or flipped. How, how difficult is it for, for goalkeepers to, to do that to each other and try and stay friends? <laughs> well, I can I guess only speak on uh, my experiences. And like I said, I was extremely lucky to have Mark Paston for so many years, not just at the Phoenix, but with the, the national team as well. So we actually had a really good relationship and would always get a giggle when the media or um, journalists would try and print a headline that said anything other than that. And there's a battle for competitions. And, you know, where we were always teammates uh, at the end of the day, there's certainly no battle. The battle was always with the opposition and regardless of whether it was Pasty or myself that was playing, our relationship never changed. The banter would still be the same um, yeah, training and it certainly wasn't a case of you know um, any stitch-ups or kicking the ball that little bit harder at them in training. So I'm sure the, the same will be with, with Ollie and Steph. They're both the, the Kiwi goalkeepers. They're going to have a long career together. Um, they're both fantastic characters. So... I think they'll be having a laugh at the situation as well. well. What about the old adage that all goalkeepers are crazy and a little unhinged? Because you've got to be one of the nicest, most level-headed blokes I, I know, Glenn Moss. So, like, where's your crazy? Or did you just bury it? it, it it's, it's probably similar to Ben Sigmund, that it's a white line fever uh, <laughs> type experience. It, Maybe that maybe it was because I played with Ben Sigmund I had that. I, I'm not sure because when we're in the tunnel and... I spoke about beating chess. Siggy would not just beat his own chess, he'd beat all his teammates' chess. <laughs> and for 90 minutes, he was turning around and giving me an absolute golf ball as well. So, um, look, that, that's just the, the passion. And, and again, for, for goalkeepers, you need that, that passion. It, you can feed off it um, with that energy, adrenaline, staying involved with the game that you, know, you might not be for a long period of time. So... Um, yeah, we do have to be a special, special breed and, like I said, fearless more than anything. Yeah, definitely a special breed. I mean, playing football, the only person in the team who doesn't kick the ball, you can use your hands. Look, um, we, we know you as a 250-game as a A-League veteran and you, you played all across Australasia, but you've got to start somewhere. And, and your start came with the New Zealand Knights all those years ago. But how did it come about? Uh, am I um, correct when I say that there was an email that, that you sent out, maybe a bulk email to the eight inaugural clubs in the A-League and you just waited to get a response from someone? Yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. It's a, it was a long time ago now. And um, when the A-League was, I guess, formed, it, it wasn't a case of here's eight teams, I think it was at the time, and they're all announced um, at the same time. It was a, a club announced, and then maybe a month or two later, another one was announced. And I was that kid that was so hungry and just had a real passion and desire to be a professional footballer. And 
I'd actually played two or three games in the NSL for Sydney Olympic and, and then the, the league was wrapped up and I just almost felt a little bit hard done by that I just got my foot in the door and now the, there's no professional football. So with every club that was announced, I'd just jump online and grab the, the details. And uh, it was a personal email to, to each club, but basically saying the same thing that I was so hungry and I thought that I would be, you know, a great addition to any squad and um, sent a few clips, uh, videos that I had. And it was, it was only the New Zealand Knights and uh, Laurie McKinner at Central Coast Mariners that actually uh, responded. And um, the New Zealand Knights guys, Tommy Mason, John Edshed were over in Australia watching the um, the amateur leagues, semi-professional leagues. And um, I was lucky enough to have a good game for the one that they came over and I got a tap on the shoulder um, walking to the car park after the game. And I was lucky enough to go to New Zealand Knights and, and uh, be the number two goalkeeper behind Danny Milosevic and, and back working with Danny Hay and Alba Hickey, uh, you know, Kiwi legends that I'd looked up to before that. It was a tough start though, wasn't it? You got a bit of game time with the Knights, but ultimately it was a it was a season that you'd probably want to forget even though it was your first in a professional outfit in New Zealand I think you picked up six competition points and leaked something like 47 goals what do you remember of that A-League experience well it, yeah it was it probably sounds selfish to say but um it it was an amazing year personally for myself it was my first professional club and to work under guys like Danny Milosevic and Danny Hay and I learned so much and they really took me under their wing um, we only won one game and a, and a couple of draws all season it was extremely difficult um, but what I learned off those senior pros John Edger, Tommy Mason um, don't forget Neil Emblem um, Darren Baisley, Sean Devine those guys that I guess were coming towards the end of the career. I learned more off those guys in that season um, than I guess I, I have since then, um, certainly as a player. So that's one I actually do fondly look back on and, and think if I didn't have that tough season, I'm not sure if I would have had a 250 games after that. Yeah, because after the Knights, obviously you had two stints with the Wellington Phoenix, the Victory, the Gold Coast, the Jets, but between the Knights and the Knicks, I think you found yourself in Romania of all places. Like, what, what happened over there? Yeah, well, I told you goalkeepers have got to be fearless. Um, and look, I'm not going to lie, that was actually a little bit scary, that, that period of my life. But yeah, it was a case of uh, after that first season at New Zealand Knights, they you know, desperately needed to, to reshuffle their roster. And, I was one that wasn't required for the following season, despite having a few good games as a, as a young number two goalkeeper. So um, after a man of the match game against Brazil, there was an agent sitting in the lobby in, in Geneva in Switzerland, and he had a thick Romanian accent. And I, to be honest, thought it was uh, Chris Killen winding me up with, with a mate of his. But um, yeah, the, honestly, two days later, I was... Um, joining up with Dinamo Bucharest, one of the biggest clubs in Romania, and, and having a week-long trial and, and did well and signed a, signed a contract there. So uh, that was a, another amazing experience um, you know, for a young Kiwi kid to be over there. And they weren't even part of the EU at the time. So, um, you know, it was a very different lifestyle, cutthroat football. Uh, but again, you look back at those moments, those decisions that, that you take, no matter how scary they were at the time, 
um, and then everything else seems easier after that. Yeah. So that opportunity came out of that European tour with the All Whites in 2006. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. We played Brazil, Hungary, Estonia, I think. Yeah, so that match against Brazil, you were absolutely insane in goal. The All Whites may have gone down 4-0, but um, your performance in goal was exceptional. Um, your memories of that, that game, because you're coming up against Brazil. Uh, I mean, this was a team who had... They bloody had Nike commercials with them running around an airport juggling a ball, for goodness sake, around the 98 World Cup. They were, they were basically household names. And here you are trying to stop them from scoring. That must have been an incredible sensation. Yeah, you had to pinch yourself at the time because, like you said, it, it was their final game, I think, before the World Cup. So um, before they went into the group stages of the World Cup and they, they started the, their best 11 and that was it was quite surreal shaking hands with those guys at the, the start of the match and, and walking in the long, along the line, seeing their faces and just the atmosphere as well in the stadium with, with all the drums and, and music and things like that. And um, yeah, it's funny people say you, you must have been nervous and how scary, but when I guess no one's expecting uh, much from us, from myself, uh, it, there's actually a little pressure on you and you can go out and enjoy it. And if I make a couple of saves, then it's a bonus. And, um, you know, like you said, they were, they were on top of their game and it's uh, another, another experience that uh, I'm so thankful to have. Did you manage to secure any Brazilian merchandise? Like who, whose shirt or shorts or boots did you manage to pilfer? Yes, that's an interesting question. Um, no, I was um, mature enough not to fight a teammate for Dita's jersey, the Brazilian goalkeeper I got. And, and I only mentioned that because there are rumours that there were teammates of mine fighting for Ronaldinho, Kaká, Adriano's jerseys, which I guess is understandable. And um, I'm not sure if those guys like Jeremy Christian, and David Mulligan are still speaking with each other, but... Um, look, it, it was a uh, certainly something when you come up against those teams. You, you know, you dream about swapping jerseys at the end of the game and telling your grandkids about it in, in years to come. After the game, and you guys are desperate, you're just clamouring for Brazilian uh, memorabilia. What were they like? Did they want Mulligan's shirt? I mean, or did they like? <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't need this. <laughs> Well, David will tell you they did want his jersey, um, and, and I'm sure they did. David was a fantastic player in his own right. But um, I think those guys are used to it. Uh, I've been lucky enough to play against Spain, Italy, Chile, Brazil, uh, you know, being a part of the national team, and um, against guys that you see on TV week in, week out at the highest level in the world. And, you know, they they I suppose, used to... Um, you know, swapping jerseys at the end of the game and um, posing for photos and things like that. And most of them are quite quite humble enough to do it. And I haven't come across um, anyone, even uh, David Beckham, when we're lucky enough to play against him for the Phoenix in, in Wellington. You know, they, they give up their time to fellow professionals just as much as any fans. Glenn, um, you know, it's, I suppose it's something that's uh, inevitable. Whenever people talk to you, they always say, oh, what about that four-match ban? I don't really want to talk about it because so much has been said about it. 
Um, but I'm going to give you the opportunity. If there's anything new that you want to add or uh, any crazy new take that you want to say about that one time back in, you know, approaching the 2010 World Cup, here's uh, the, the floor is yours. Are you saying is there any fresh evidence? Uh, well, anything. Any new take that you want to <laughs> deliver. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't need to talk about it. But if you want to, then we can. Nah. Look, obviously, I, I wouldn't, uh, I guess, have made the move into coaching or continued football. And, and to be fair, I don't think it's the type of person I am to, um, you know, carry anything like that to my grave as such. Um, I can still honestly say the, the World Cup experience was the best time of my life. There was certainly no feeling of missing out or hard done by. I was still there for the, the full journey. I was still available for the, for the last game. Um, you know, I, would I have been starting regardless of the suspension? Probably not anyway, because Pasty uh, at the time was the reason we were at the World Cup making that penalty save against Bahrain. And, you know, I probably would have felt bad if I'd taken his spot at the World Cup. So um, that journey, that was incredible to come away undefeated. Incredible. The friendships, um, the stories that we have from that journey, incredible. So, you know, certainly no hard feelings about uh, not getting on the pitch. Remembering there was six or seven other guys in the squad that also didn't get on the pitch as well. Yeah, all right. We'll just shift that to one side because speaking of incredible World Cup experiences or close to it, the World Cup qualifiers against Peru and when the All-Whites went over there in the, the second leg, you guys experienced some haranguing, for want of a better term. I mean, the, the, the flights over the top of the hotel, um, fireworks exploding in the middle of the night, uh, laser beams in the players' eyes on the pitch on game day. Well, I mean, what was what was that experience like for you? Yeah, you're right with all of that. That's all true. And, and to think that we give them a, a nice, warm, traditional welcome when they arrive uh, into into New Zealand. Um, you know, we give them police escorts to their hotels and you know, make sure everything is, is really nice and comfortable for them is a little bit hard to swallow as well because from the minute you leave our shores and you're heading over there, from the, the pilot um, having to do a few extra circles in the sky waiting for the runway to open because the people controlling the runway are out there having a kick on the runway and, and you know, are in no rush to get off so you can land. And then the bus driver coincidentally... Uh, gets the bus stuck in first gear so he can't go faster than 10 or 15 k's an hour to the hotel and if you get my drift it just continues everyone is against you from the the bus driver to the uh, I guess the head of the air force that thought it was the right time to do some air force training flyovers uh, past our hotel at 3 or 4 a.m. Um, so again you look back at those things and you that's why we love the game Honestly, football, I'm not sure you'd get uh, that sort of attention, that sort of passion for any other game in the world, really. And especially when you go to South America, parts of Europe, um, you know, where the whole country is behind their team and that's the lengths they'll go to. Um, you know, that, that's why I couldn't leave the game. This is why I still want to coach at the highest level. If I'm fortunate enough to coach overseas in the future, um, those are the things I love doing every week. Hey, Glenn, uh, awesome to catch up on the Kiwi Football Fix. Just one last question before I let you go. Um, people watching will have seen this amazing face and brilliant hair. 
what's your beauty regime? How do you keep yourself looking <laughs> like a 23, 24 year old when you're approaching 40? Oh, I tell you what, these, these Zoom uh, programs, they're fantastic. I was on here for <laughs> half an hour before we, we linked up and the editing, the photoshopping, like you said, with the light, there's so many uh, things you can play with these days. And I can see why the, the younger, the next generation are obsessed with all the filters because if it can make me look half good, then, uh, you know, it'll help the younger guys too. But look, it's great to see you haven't lost your sense of humor, Goron, and you're doing a fantastic job, um, you know, back, back home and, um, you know, spreading the, the football word still. So we thank you for doing that. Oh, well, I thank you very much for your time, mate. Congratulations on a brilliant career. And we do, we really wish you all the best uh, in this next phase of your career as a coach with MacArthur FC. Good luck for the playoffs, because I think you're playoffs bound. Um, and, and we'll catch you next time on the Kiwi Football Fix, Glenn. Great to see you. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Cheers, buddy.